So we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24, to chapter 2, verses 5, and you can find that on page 1182 of the Church Bibles. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may then know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thank you, Amanda, very much for reading for us. Let me add uh, my welcome to those of you in the building and indeed those of you uh, joining us online as well. Um, here's a thought. What are you willing to suffer for? Um, actually, when you stop and think about it, there are all sorts of things uh, that we seem to be willing to suffer for. Um, bargains. Um, think about the January sales, the early morning start, jostling with the crowds just to get your hands on that most excellent bargain that you've heard about. Oh, we seem to be willing to suffer for that. Um, children. Ask any mother. Um, don't call it labor for nothing. Um, willing to suffer uh, for a child. The broken nights. Um, lots of suffering uh, in order to care for children, it seems. And speaking of broken nights, uh, what about um, all those all-nighters? Uh, to get that essay written. Um, bit of suffering there. Uh, education, it seems, is something that we are willing uh, to endure suffering for. Or how about a, a DIY project? Imagine Richard Newman at his DIY. The cuts, the bruises, the aching back, the hours and hours of labor, till finally the home improvement project is done. The light bulb is changed. See, see, what, what we're willing to, to suffer for actually reveals what we value, doesn't it? 
you, you, you're willing to suffer for something that you think is important. Um, and so, it is significant uh, that Paul begins this section of his letter to these Christians in Colossae in the way that he does. When he writes, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. For them, for, for these believers in Colossae. They matter so much to Paul that he is willing to suffer for them. And, and even though we're not Paul, um, and only a very few of us are, are pastors or preachers, uh, nevertheless, I think what we're going to find is that what Paul has to say here about his ministry uh, has things to say to every single one of us uh, about the Christian life. Um, there's four, th four things? No, there's three things. It'd be bizarre, wouldn't it? Fancy imagining a sermon with four points in it. Um, so, <laughs> there are three points <laughs> that I want to bring out about this ministry. The experience of ministry, the goal of ministry, and the content of this ministry. Um, three things we're going to look at. Uh, here's the first. Uh, the experience of ministry, which as we've already begun to see, Paul says, is suffering and struggle. It comes again and again. Um, in uh, this section of the letter. We've already seen in verse 24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Uh, but it's there again uh, towards the, the end of chapter 1, verse 29. To this end I strenuously contend, uh, Paul writes, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in with you. And then in the very next verse, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. Several times, Paul emphasizes the way that the ministry that he has is hard. It's demanding. He suffers in order to fulfill it. And authentic Christian service, which is really what ministry means, uh, is like that. But, I mean, in a sense, uh, you don't really need me to tell you that. Um, many of you know that already from your own experience, because uh, many of you are leaders of a small group, or members of the church council, or leaders in a youth group, or uh, in Sunday club groups. And you know that often it will involve a full day where you have been hard at work in the home or in the workplace. And then the evening comes and the work continues because there is a meeting to go to. There's some preparation for a children's group. Uh, there's a person to be in touch with and care for. Ministry is like that. It's hard work. It involves hardship. Uh, and so it's a, it's a good thing uh, that God strengthens us to do it. Did you see that in verse 29? To this end I strenuously contend, what? With all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, speaking of um, straining and struggling and hard work, um, I probably um, ought to earn my keep by doing a little bit of hard work on verse 24. Because um, it is a funny verse. Maybe, maybe it caught you as uh, you, we read through. Um, just look at it. I've only read the first part so far. Let me read the rest of it. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up 
in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I hope you're feeling a bit twitchy now. Because Christ and lack in the same sentence just sort of feels a little bit awkward. Particularly in the context of this letter, actually, doesn't it? When you, you think about all that Paul has been trying to say about just how much Christ has done, as much Christ is, and then suddenly we've got this little line where we've got Christ and lacking. What on earth can it mean? Well, let's start with what it can't mean. It can't mean that there is something lacking in the work that Christ has done to achieve salvation. Um, the verses we looked at last week, um, at the end, uh, in 21 through to 23, well, that, that, they, they made it perfectly clear, didn't they? That the, the work that Christ has done is so complete, so thorough, that those who believe in him are now holy in the sight of God, without blemish, free from accusation. Paul says that has been done, that has been accomplished. Paul can't now, in the, in the next sentence, be saying, well, actually, no, no, I got it wrong. It hasn't actually been accomplished. There's something lacking, and then some more needs to be done. He, he can't be saying that, can he? So we know what it can't mean. So what is he saying? I, th I think it goes like this. Um, do, do you remember when Jesus, in, in his ministry, talked about the end times, talked about the way that things were going to go until he returned again? Um, talked about all of the wars and rumours of wars and, uh, and the, all the difficulties that would come upon the earth. And, and he described those, uh, well, he described that what people would notice happening just as the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, there's, there's going to be a lot of struggle and difficulty to come. Uh, and I think what's going on here is that a bit like um, a, like a labour, a bit like birth pains, what you know is that there is a chunk of pain to get through before you arrive at the birth. It's just got to be done. Um, and in a similar sort of way, I think Paul says there is a chunk of suffering, there is a chunk of hardship that needs to be got through for, God and, for God's people. Uh, before the end comes, before Christ returns. And Paul, I think, here is saying, and I'm doing my bit. I'm fulfilling my share uh, until eventually enough has been done and the end will come. It's an obscure verse, um, but I think that's how it goes. And for sure, what, what is definitely clear is that Paul understands that an authentic Christian life um, is going to mean struggle. Now, it's not a surprise, that, is it? You think about it. I mean, if you're a Christian believer, then you have chosen to follow Christ. And pretty central to Christ's ministry was suffering. That is the center of his life on earth, was to suffer in our place. So it wouldn't be over-surprising, would it, if to follow in his footsteps... That would also involve for us a measure of suffering too. I take it that that is going to be true at the moment for believers in Ukraine. I've no idea, I'm just trying to picture it. and I'm guessing 
that there will be some who, at this moment, are thinking that they, they wonder if they should flee to a safer part of the city or, or perhaps out of uh, a safer part of the country or out of the country altogether. But then they're, they're realizing that in their church family are those who are elderly, those with young children, those who are frail in some way, uh, who are not going to be able to flee. And I imagine that there are some of those believers who are deciding, no, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay and care for those who are more vulnerable than me, even though it leaves me in danger. I take it that those kind of decisions are being made by some of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine at the moment out of love, out of a sense of unity uh, with uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's what authentic Christian living looks like. So, can I say that if at the moment, if, if you are a Christian believer, and if at the moment you, you are finding the Christian life really, really hard, can I say please don't think that something's gone wrong? It hasn't. It is hard a lot of the time. Stick at it. So first, an experience of ministry, suffering, struggle. And, and secondly, Paul writes about a goal for ministry, which I'm summing up as love and maturity. Um, look, look first at verse uh, 28, uh, where Paul writes, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's Paul's goal, maturity in Christ. Uh, or again in chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And then at the end of the passage, um, Paul explains his goal in a slightly different way because he, he tells us there what delights him. Um, verse 5, Though I am abs absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You put all of those verses together and you, you get the impression, don't you, that Paul is excited, Paul is committed uh, to a goal of ministry that is about maturity and stability. He wants these believers to be united together and loving one another. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely combination, isn't it, when you stop and think about it? Now, the two provide something of a foil, one for the other. Because maturity and stability, well, that could sound a little bit pedestrian, couldn't it? Indeed, you can imagine, can't you, some, some teenagers sort of thinking about their parents and thinking, yeah, my parents, they're quite mature. It's really dull being mature. I mean, gardening, they wash the car, they hardly ever go out. I mean, you know, they, they really need to live a little bit more. I mean, so dull, all that maturity. 
But, but on the other hand, you can imagine in the other direction, parents from time to time looking at their teenagers and thinking, do you know, all that energy and enthusiasm, it does have its shortcomings. Full of passion, but so flighty, so inconsistent. It's all fads and fashions. One moment this, the next moment that. On Monday, Priscilla is my absolute best friend. Tuesday, she's the worst person in the world. They could do with a little bit more stability. So how good that we get the combination here. That, as it were, both sit side by side, love and maturity. Beautiful picture of the Christian life. Steadfast in relation to God. Steadfast in relation to commitment to his people. But also passionate, filled with enthusiasm, love, deep, rich, passionate love uh, for one another in Christ. There's nothing pedestrian about Paul, nothing pedestrian about the disciples he wants to create. Well, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Uh, you think last week, um, Scott and Michael were giving us that little skit, weren't they, of, of pressing on through the ages uh, and all the time standing on Christ uh, through each of the ages of life. Would it be brilliant, whatever age we are, to say, I want to be passionate for the Lord Jesus. Yes, stable. Yes, mature. Yes, growing. But all the time passionate. Not losing my enthusiasm uh, for the Lord Jesus. But who, if this is the goal of, um, of Paul's ministry... Um, is, is it just Paul that needs to do this or, or translate it to today and it's just sort of my job, David's job, Michael's job, those of us who preach, just our job. You know, our job is to do this admonishing and this teaching um, and then all the rest of you, you can just sort of sit there sort of saying, well, go on, get on with it. Go on, I'll, I'll become mature and complete. You know, but you, you know, it's your job to do all the hard and the suffering and struggle. You do that um, and uh, I'll just sit here being a, taught and admonished, and eventually I'll become mature. Yeah, but it's your job. Well, you knew it wasn't going to be that easy, didn't you? Um, and you can see it's not easy when you, you just, if you've got, still got a Bible open, flip over the page to chapter 3. And as you do that, remember that this is a letter written to uh, the whole Christian church, all, all of the people in Colossae who were believers. And if you look at verse 16, what do you see there? Writing to all of them, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you, all of you, as you, all of you, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom uh, through psalms, hymns, spirits, songs from the Spirit. See, this is a job for all of them. Exactly the same words are being used, teach and admonish. It's Paul's job, but it's also their job. It's one of the reasons that I'm passionate about the vision of the biblical counselling movement. Because that really is what it means. It means that right across the body of Christ, uh, we might all be about this. Because there's, there's counsel to be given. There's, there's wisdom to be shared to one another. Sometimes that'll be in long conversations spread over many months, uh, as uh, two uh, 
two friends talk something through at great length. Sometimes it'll just be a snatch of conversation, very brief, just with a word of encouragement, maybe sharing a, a Bible verse that you read in your quiet time that morning, maybe saying a prayer because somebody's told you about something hard, uh, maybe just uh, a, a moment uh, of encouragement that helps another person to grow to maturity in Christ. It's just good, isn't it, to want to get better at this? And there'll be different skills, there'll be different experiences, we'll, we'll, we'll be more or less naturally gifted um, at this kind of conversational ministry, this kind of teaching and admonishing one another. But, but it's there for all of us. And, and maybe you want to get better at it. I'd love to see a few more enroll uh, on the biblical counselling uh, certificate course this coming September. I'd love to see the next time we run Real Change uh, to have more people sign up to it so that we can try and get better at helping one another uh, to grow in this way. So, we've seen an experience of ministry, suffering and struggle. We've seen a goal of ministry and whose job it is to move us forward towards that. Goal of ministry, maturity and love. Um, now, just, just come to a final heading, which is the content of ministry, um, which I'm summing up as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because those words come um, at, uh, at the end uh, in verse 27. But actually, let me read from verse uh, 25 again. Paul writes, I have become its, uh, that, that is the church's, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You, you can't miss it really, can you? As we go through those verses, it's very clear that the content of the ministry that Paul is engaged in is Christ. And what a Christ. Just, just think about some of the things that we are seeing about this Christ. First, that he is the cosmic Christ. We, we mustn't separate this from all that we saw about uh, Jesus Christ in chapter 1, where Paul, with this sort of volley of all things statements, uh, says, in him, in Christ, all things were created. And then in him, all things hold together. And finally, that through him, to reconcile to himself all things. It's, it's this a sort of cosmic, huge vision of saying, look, this Jesus, who not many years ago was just walking around on earth, now I want you to understand that this Jesus, he created all things. He sustains all things. Next beat of your heart, he kept it going and he'll reconcile all things. That's, that, that's, how, that's how big this Jesus is. 
speaking on these verses, John Stott said that the reason that so many are really underdeveloped Christians is because they have such an underdeveloped Christ. He's bigger than we think He is. He's the cosmic Christ. Second, He's the revealed Christ. New Testament mysteries are always things that were hidden but are now made known. Um, think of it like this. Um, some do, but not many know my middle name. In that sense, it's a mystery to you. And if I just told you the initial of my middle name, which is N, then my name would not yet be revealed to you. Uh, but you'd know something about it. And actually, it would leave you vulnerable to those who might tell you that they were able to let you in on the secret. Come with me, and I'll tell you Steve's middle name. Now, I realize that the flaw in this illustration is, is that you really couldn't care less about my middle name. So I appreciate that the illustration has a, has a slight weakness at that point. But nevertheless, so just, just stay with me, stay with me. So if, however, I reveal to you my middle name which, as it happens, is Nicholas, then it is revealed. Now you know it. And so when somebody says, come with me, I'll tell you Steve's middle name, you say, what? I don't know what Steve's middle name is. Not interested. What are you on about? See? And that's what Paul is on about here. God has chosen to make known among them the glorious riches of this mystery. And because he's done that, because it's now revealed, they are not vulnerable in the way that they were. A cosmic Christ, a revealed Christ. And then notice also a complete Christ. Because I suppose you could say, well, okay, even with Christ fully revealed, you could still be susceptible to people who say, no, 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 you, you've, you've done well, you started with Christ, but look, come, I've got some more. There's some more spiritual treasures there's some, there's some more knowledge that you haven't got yet. Come with me. Listen to this. But verse 3 of chapter 2 rules that out, doesn't it? Do you see? Because Paul says that they now know Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And because of that, verse 4, no one, can deceive them by fine-sounding arguments, telling them that they've got some extra stuff. Because they have it all already. Christ is that complete. Is your view of Jesus big enough? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, any wisdom that is worth having, any knowledge that is true knowledge, it's found in Christ. Uh, time's gone. Um, but before we finish, let me, let me just pick out two things. Um, one would be to say that suppose, suppose you're not yet persuaded of these things. Uh, maybe this morning you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Perhaps all of this is new to you, and, and, and thank you for being patient with me this far of, of listening, as I have said, quite frankly, extraordinary things. 
about Jesus Christ, that he created all things, that he sustains all things, that he reconciles all things. He will put everything right and take us into a new heavens and a new earth. There's extraordinary things to be saying about Jesus, aren't they? I accept that. And they may raise for you all sorts of questions of, can this really be true? Can this man from history that I'm not even sure existed, what are these people that I'm sat around at the moment who seem to believe that such things could be true of him? It raises lots of questions for you. Then, um, nice man downstairs, Warwick. I said, uh, Warwick, what, what, what should people read? And he said, here's a good book, Grilla Christian. Throw questions um, that puzzle you about the extraordinary things that this says and that I've been saying. Um, and uh, this book contains some answers. It's only two pounds. Not bad, two pounds. David will be pleased. He'll buy one. Um, so if, if, if you are, if, it's, if this is just sort of fresh to you, um, and you're thinking it through, please read some more. Uh, come and talk. But for, for, those, um, for those who are um, committed to Christ already, uh, to those who uh, have decided to follow him, um, can I say that in, in recent weeks, um, in a couple of ways, I have found myself increasingly convinced that I haven't adequately um, in recent times been, um, been placing before you Jesus as well as I should have done. I think often I drift in my preaching uh, towards offering you uh, the benefits that come from Jesus, but somehow forgetting to present you with Christ. So it's, it's, it's possible, isn't it, to say, look, receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. Uh, receive the, the restored relationship that Christ offers. Trust in the, in the hope of glory that Christ makes available to you. And somehow in the midst of all of that, in me offering you all of those benefits of Christ, I forget, and I'm sorry, I forget to put before you Christ and say to you, receive him. It's Christ that you receive when you become a Christian believer. It's Christ that you continue with as a Christian believer. And the language here speaks of Christ in you. The, 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 the bond between you and Christ is so close, so complete, that no other language will do other than to say it's Christ in you and you in him, bound together. He is yours, you are his. So don't be content simply to receive what Christ can give you. Receive him. Maybe receive him afresh this morning as you remember that to be a Christian believer is to continue in him. That he indwells you, that you're united to him and he to you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Let me lead us in a prayer. Uh, we...
Praise you, Lord God, for all of the ways that this letter uh, uh, does indeed uh, place Christ uh, before our gaze. Uh, Christ in in all his glory. Uh, Christ the creator, the sustainer, uh, the reconciler of all things. Uh, Christ in whom are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, And it it, it overwhelms us uh, and humbles us that you allow us, enable us uh, to become those who are in Christ and who have Christ in us. Uh, We praise you afresh for such things. Uh, We praise you again for Christ. Uh, And Lord Jesus, we we say to you that uh, we want uh, to live in you. Uh, And we want you to live in us. That united to you, uh, we might indeed uh, live uh, to your greater glory. Uh, And in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.